any of those. But um, all right, I think we're ready to go. Audio is all good for everybody. Yeah. Okay. All right. So guys, all right, let's go ahead and get started. So hey, everybody, welcome to the very unofficial Logistics Planners Podcast, season two, episode four, five, something like that. Uh, I'm Gonzo, and I'm joined by, uh, of course, the one and only. Hey, guys, it's Kate Champion here. Um, good to hear from you. Good to see you virtually i can't actually see you but we'll we'll pretend that i can see you and we're actually talking face to face right <laughs> uh, because i've been making really good choices um the last episode i challenged you guys to take your airmen out around and show them the world and get them talking to other people so i hope that you did it okay because i'm holding you accountable but i'm holding myself accountable too so i've been walking around and talking to people i actually don't have a laptop or any nipper right now so i have a lot of time to talk to people which is cool um so guys hey today we have a really really special guest Heather Christea. Um, she is a motivational inspirational speaker. Uh, her and I actually went to high school together almost a decade ago. Um, which is crazy. A decade. Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> right. I know. I know. We're, it's happening. <laughs> So Heather, we're super excited to have you on here today. Um, just some background info. Heather has, has lived a full life, a very interesting life, right? Um, and as planners, we tend to plan a lot for, for other things like, uh, you know, deployments, pushing the AEF and planning O plans and operations and all sorts of things. But one thing we, we sometimes forget to do is plan to make time for ourselves. Um, and a lot of times that, you know, affects our resiliency and it, it puts us in some really um, bad situations if we're being quite honest. Um, and so that's what we're here to talk about today. We want to switch this up a little bit. Now, Heather, she has no military affiliation whatsoever, uh, other than like going to JROTC together. <laughs> and uh, she's just an awesome person. And um, this is what she does for, for a hobby, for fun, for a living. Uh, is she comes out and she speaks to people and she shares an incredible message. So Heather, thanks again so much uh, for being on here. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, share with, with the team, you know, what it is you do. Well, hi guys. Um, you know, my story is very full and there's a lot of pieces that I don't talk about anymore because um, I don't live there anymore. And I've come to the conclusion that once you start to get over something, if you keep thinking about it and you keep talking about it, you're gonna put yourself back in that situation. Um, so there's chapters of my story that have closed already and I'm moving on from, um, but I will talk with you about my run-in with depression and suicidal thoughts and things like that. Um, Kaylee was talking about getting out and talking to people. And it's funny, when I was thinking about this podcast in my car today, I started thinking about the way that I use other people around me to help me when I'm not feeling well. So if I wanna feel something, it's very easy to get energy from other people. If you're around somebody angry, what do you feel? You're angry too. If you're around somebody that has good energy, then you have good energy too. And one of the easiest ways for me to feel good, please stop. Um, one of the easiest ways for me to feel good is to make other people feel good. So, I'll do anything I can to make a stranger smile. You know, I'll talk to them about crazy stuff. I'll tell them a joke that I probably shouldn't tell a stranger just to see if it will make them smile. And uh, when I make other people happy, it's a good way to make me happy. Um, so that's, that's a big one for me. I think it's important to get out with people. And, you know, I heard the other day that this world is really not that scary. If you turn off the news, turn off your media, go outside and talk to your neighbor. And I think that there's a lot to do with that. Um, it's really not that bad if you just talk to other people and find something to relate with. So I think that that's very solid to go out and talk to people in the community. Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, so I'm gonna start off by saying, you know, I don't talk about my childhood trauma and things like that anymore. Um, so my mom and dad are gone. They're not dead. Um, they just decided that, I don't know, I wasn't, I'm not good enough. And it took me some time to accept that, but it's going to show me how to be a better parent. Um, I know what that struggle is and I'm not going to put my kids through it. So I've got that going for me. Um, 
I was diagnosed with MS back in 2017. There's not really any way to describe what it feels like to be told that you have an illness like that. Um, I have an autoimmune disease that is life debilitating. That's a thing. So my MS was flaring and I got pregnant and then things got really, really bad. This is where my depression story starts. Um, so I got pregnant and my neurologist didn't know what to do. So she put me through rounds of steroids because that's supposed to turn down your immune system and help keep your MS from getting worse, you know, biting more holes in my brain, whatever. And I had a very bad reaction to them. I cold turkeyed off of some medication because I was pregnant and I didn't do it the right way because I didn't know how. Um, I had my MS going on. I was feeling really sick. Uh, I wasn't getting around very well. Then I went into a horrible mental crisis. Like I was so mentally unhealthy. Um, I ended up on the psych ward for a while after my first round of steroids and my MS was still not doing well. So they hit with another one and I ended up on the third floor for even longer. Um, they put me on a medication that made me gain over 130 pounds. Yeah. Who doesn't want to do that? Um, so at that point, I was gaining weight at such an alarming rate and it was like every two weeks I was gaining 20 pounds. So I stopped looking at myself in the mirror and I was on a medication to keep me from being crazy that turned me into a zombie and I didn't feel any emotion. I was actually like drooling at the table talking to my husband because that's how much of a zombie these medications turned me into. Um, and they just made me keep gaining weight. So I didn't look at myself for almost a year. I didn't look in the mirror. I didn't take pictures of myself. Um, I hated myself genuinely. And one day when I looked in the mirror, I didn't recognize myself. And that's when, that's when the self-hatred really kicked in. Um, then one day my husband told me, he's like, you know, honey, I'm worried about your health. You need to start getting a little bit more active. And I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, how dare you say that to me? Well, it took me some time. I thought about it and I realized that I was hurting my husband by hurting myself, by not making my situation better. So like, yes, I went through all of these things and it wasn't anyone else's fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. And I had to dig down in myself and start turning it around because the other people around me that loved me were suffering. And that's where my story really started. You know, I started thinking about my kids and my husband and people that do love me minus my parents. And <laughs> So, you know, I started thinking about all those people and I realized that I was hurting myself. Um, it came into the realization eventually that you genuinely can't love people that don't love themselves because they will hurt you at the end of the day by hurting themselves. And it's just, it's, it's a very vicious cycle. Um, so then I started doing exercise, not drinking so much beer. And that's where I started losing my weight. I tried really hard to motivate other people. Um, I tried to convince adults that they should get their lives together. And that was really dumb. Uh, it didn't work well for me. Uh, not at the end of the day, because I ended up investing so much love into other people, but I wasn't loving myself yet. It was just, it was a very long journey so yeah that's that's kind of where I'm at and right now I've noticed that there's a lot of people around me that you know I wish I could do better for I wish that they would do better for themselves but they won't 
And that's one of the reasons why I stay on my game. I have people watching. Uh, you know, they see where I was. They see that I dropped 130 pounds in less than two years. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and when I see people not doing well for themselves, I just pray and I hope that I can be an inspiration to them. So I do hold myself to a higher standard and I don't use other people to motivate me in a sense that I need them doing well with me. It's just that, you know, I'm, I'm up here and people are looking at me. So that's kind of what keeps me going. Just hoping that I can inspire people. And one day my story, might touch somebody else. It's worth it. If my story touched at least one person, it's worth it. And it's worth talking about too. If you've been through something, it's good to share it. So, yeah. Yeah, Heather. So, Gonzo, you were about to go, weren't you? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, I'm not overstepping my bounds by asking this. Oh, but you're when you talked about, um, you know, you're going, uh, you're diagnosed with MS. Mm -hmm. you're find out that you're starting uh, you're adding to your family right and you talk about the weight gain and you talk about the pills and you talk about the depression um does it ever feel normal like did here's what i mean by that did you ever wake up at some point and just accept it and, and, and i say that and i'm really i guess i'm asking for like myself right because there's been times and, and through, especially going through divorces or, or, or not being in my, my son's life full time, where it's almost, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that meme. It's like a little brown dog with a hat and he's sitting this like in a, burnt, a burning room. He's like, this is fine. But yeah, so that's why it, it, for me personally, it felt fine. So did you ever feel like at some point where you're like, hmm, you know, there was a time where I didn't think that it could have gotten any better. I was in that boat, the, this is fine. Everything is normal. And it wasn't until my husband told me that he was worried about my health that it hit me. And that's when I started thinking about what did things used to be like? Who did I used to be? Because that's when I realized like, I wasn't myself anymore. But I think that you get into that spiraling depression and nothing else even clicks to you. Like you just completely shut down. At least I do. When I'm going through something traumatic, my brain will just block it all out. And then that's when I don't feel anything. And I don't see anything. And it, I think that it takes someone on the outside looking in to bring it to your attention when you're in that zone, essentially. So I, I get that it, it can feel normal to you for sure. So Heather, when you, uh, that's crazy. So yeah, there, I think I remember feeling that a few times where it just kind of felt normal and you can accept it and everything is fine. Um, and I love that, you know, you bring up your husband as, as the person who sat you down and was like, I'm worried. Um, so him being your husband might be a little bit different than us being log planners and airmen, um, maybe just slightly different, obviously, uh, but we're together every single day, guys, we're together every day, you know, and we talk about recognizing signs and we talk about, um, just talking to people in general. But I, I also believe that sometimes, um, you know, like Heather said, it, it became normal for her. I think sometimes we're going to get people that they're going to, this is normal for them. This is who they are. Uh, and it does, does just take one person to sit you down and be like, what's going on? Like, why are you ticking the way you're talking? Or, you know, um, right. trying to figure out people and who they, who they are to, re to recognize whether or not that is normal. Um, and being able to call each other out on our own shit, you know, uh, Hey man, you're being unhealthy. I recognize these things. Let's talk about right. it. Why are you doing those things? Right. right. Um, it just takes one person in one conversation. And Heather, I, you and I have had many conversations about this before. Um, and I, I think it was in one of, one of your um, talks that you gave over Facebook live, uh, where you had talked about 
you know, um, where it all kind of began and how, how you rebuilt yourself, um, through the, through the therapy and through going through the, to, you know, to the gym and, uh, completely like doing a, a, a rebody, a body composition and, and then, and also a mental recomposition. Can you talk a little bit about those two things? Yeah. So I tell people a lot that it was a life or death situation. Um, and not necessarily just for suicidal thoughts, but also because I got hit with it one day that I was killing myself. I wasn't happy anymore. I wasn't really smiling. I wasn't laughing. I wasn't enjoying conversations. I wasn't talking about things that I like to talk about. Um, I wasn't spending time with anybody. And that it was literally a life or death situation. And when you're told news, like you have MS, you know, my things are going to be different for me, um, especially as I get older. And to realize that I was wasting the time that I did have, um, that one hit me pretty hard. So that, that was a huge thing. Um, it really was a life or death situation. Um, you know, I also realized that by not being a hundred percent, I was hurting my kids too. And I heard this one one day, someone told me, they said, so if you were on a plane and it started going down and everybody had to get their masks on, whose would you put on first? There's a little kid next to you. There's an old lady across the alley and that, you know, there's all these people that need help with masks. Who's what you put on first? And of course, here I am. I'm like, well, the kids, duh. And then the person said it this way. No, you put yours on first. You put yours on first because if you're dead and you don't have your mask on, you can't help anybody else. You get yours on first and then you can start worrying about helping other people. And that one hit me pretty hard. You have to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. I can't be a hundred percent if I just need to take a shower, you know, I need to step away from my kids and take a shower. So I feel like a human for a second or else mom's not going to be on her game. Um, you know, you've got to start taking care of yourself before you can take care of other people. Um, I, one of my first goals for therapy, this one's embarrassing was to brush my teeth every day. That was my first goal I ever made for myself. Oh yeah, I can brush my teeth. That's no big deal. Oh, but it was. It was. When you're depressed and you hate yourself, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to brush your hair. You don't want to take a shower. You don't want to change your clothes, do laundry, brush your teeth. There's no reason to take care of yourself because you hate yourself. And uh, that was my first goal that I couldn't do. I could not force myself to brush my teeth every day. Then I had to get one of my teeth removed. And that was, yeah. <laughs> so that's, you, I don't know. And the thing is, I tried really hard to just lose weight and feel good about myself, but I couldn't start there. I couldn't just start with having a healthy body because my mind was so unhealthy. My spirit was so unhealthy. And that's when I realized that I had to get mental help before I could ever try to help my body. I couldn't keep myself motivated to even do something like that before I got help mentally. So I think that talking to a therapist is a big thing. It's so helpful. And for some reason, there's so much stigma around mental health. People are like, oh, you're going to go talk to your, yeah, I am going to go talk to my counselor actually, because she listens better than you do. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't understand that it's, I had to find the right first step. And for my 300 pound life, it was not doing jumping jacks in a gym and forcing myself to wake up every day. I had to start thinking better mentally first. So that's, that's where it started for me. A lot of it was therapy. I, I couldn't have gotten where I did without that. So yeah, there's that Kaylee. Do you guys, um, Uh, also, I'll say for, for me personally. So, 
you know, being uh, being in the Air Force now, going 18 years, right? I've spent the better part of my adult life doing this, right? And it's a little different compared to the civilian sector because we're uh, um, held accountable um, when we don't take care of others, right? Or ourselves, you know, first and then much less others. But something that I've always struggled with, and I don't know if it's maybe if it's a if it's a, a gender thing, if it's a guy, a, a man thing, it's very, it's always been very hard to me to relate. It's, it's been hard to me to, to see the signs of like depression, the signs of alcoholism, the signs of drug abuse, the signs of of of, uh, uh, of anything that's not visible, right? And I think the hardest part for me is just I can't relate, right? I've never had those things. And so it, it, I, I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean, is, is it hard to relate when you haven't gone through it yourself? I mean, you know, it's, as a man, like I wanna fix stuff, right? Somebody comes to me, a pro, I, my fiance, she'll come to me and she's like upset with something. And it's not the right thing to do, but instantly I'm like, okay, well, let's fix it. But she doesn't want me to fix it. She doesn't want me to fucking listen to it, right? So, but, so, it, so it's, I can't relate to it. And that, and so I get front. And so to, to me, um, I, very few times have I been put in a position where I had to help somebody and I couldn't do it. I've, I've been able to do it, but it's been tough, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't so, think that, sorry, I keep interrupting. No, go ahead, everyone. Kaylee. <laughs> go ahead, Kaylee. Uh, <laughs> in the military, I think it, it is, um, it's, it's a unique struggle, right? Because we have a lot of training, a lot of training on recognizing suicidal um, idea, ideations and um, you know, signs of depression and all of those different things. But one thing that military members are absolutely excellent at is masking any kind of emotion. We can do that. We're freaking professionals at the poker face, right? So I think um, what is really beautiful about this, I, I'll say, you know, in the last nine years of be me be being in the military, I would say probably the first four years, uh, there was still this this stigma um on mental health and we were still using our bodies and our minds as weapons and then about at that four year mark i remember i don't and honestly i think it was after the huge force shaping and a thousand million people got out and we were all doing doing more with less and you know all that stuff is when we started recognizing that we were breaking people by doing that and then um people started killing themselves right um and then we had to stop and we had to take a look at things and we were like, shit, we're losing a lot of our teammates. Why? Right. Well, we're so good at masking everything and we've been able to do more with less for so long. I just kind of became normal and nobody really um, cared. Oh, I, no, I wouldn't say that. Hold on. I used the wrong words. Forgive me. Uh, I wouldn't say nobody cared. Nobody knew. Nobody understood it in the military, right? Because we had been using ourselves as weapons for so long. But now we're going through this transition, I would say within the last three years, uh, where we're saying, hey, it's cool to be human. Like you're allowed to be human. You're allowed to feel things. It's okay to not be okay, but we need you to tell us, you know, um, and, and for a long time, we were saying, you need, as supervisors, you need to recognize the signs. It's your responsibility to recognize when someone's about to go freaking shoot themselves in the head or, you know, like, how, how would you know that? And I'll say, coming from me, I, I attempted suicide in April of 2014. Um, and I promise you that nobody around me had any freaking idea I was going to do it. Why? Because I didn't even know. I had no idea I was suicidal until I held a gun to my throat. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready to do it. Right. So I wouldn't have expected anybody to recognize the signs. And I don't think that we can put that on supervisors and leaders still to this day. I don't believe that we can hold them accountable for recognizing those signs because sometimes you're just not going to know. Sometimes the person who does it is not even going to know that they are suicidal until the day that they decide that they are. It's true. No, and, and I, I completely agree, Kaylee. And it's uh, um, and here's why, right? So I, I, I so I'll, I'll give two two quick little stories. So I remember uh, one of my first log plan spaces in Texas. We had this huge scandal. Uh, it wasn't. I don't want to say scandal. We had an incident where a uh, the the spouse of a deployed uh, Air Force member um, was arrested. Um, for uh, she 
she wasn't taking care of her kids. I want to say she had three kids. The youngest one was found unresponsive. Uh, long story short, they were uh, he had been gone for a few months. They were living in squalor. She would lock the kids upstairs for days on end. The kid was found with like uh, acid burns from from uh, fecal matter, right, and urine all over. Poor thing happened, right? So anyway, so the reason I'm bringing it up is I remember watching my commander. He was a young uh, Air Force major, and he's standing up. And we did three commanders calls, and like over the course of like a week and a half, maybe two weeks. And the first one. You could tell it was very, it was a sad time, you know, trying to explain what happened to everybody. The second one, you could, uh, you could just tell he was beat down. You could just, you could see it in his eyes, you know, it, it's a, uh, uh, and by the third one, he was angry, right? And what was, it, it, and at the time I couldn't understand, but he was angry because there was stuff that was getting, this was in the very early, this was been late 2000s so social media is kind of like kicked off a little bit right but you're still like i think it's like right early facebook mainly this myspace and rumors have started to spread on base in the and in the news and the media and people were saying they were asking what were they asking well what was the commander doing how, how did it the commander know that a deployed member's spouse was mistreating their children to the point of of, of of being responsible for murdering them right and i remember watching him and he was fucking angry and i even think he cussed and he was like, how dare they, they They say that to me? And it was that relationship that I didn't get at the time, the relationship of what it must feel like to be the commander of a, of a squadron over airmen, how, how I'm sure that these commanders look at us as their family, right? And so I remember having that conversation, like you just said, I remember having a conversation with other military members, like, how didn't he know? How didn't the supervisor know? How didn't this know? And it's... And it's never that easy. It's never that freaking easy. Um, uh, and, the, and, the, and so the last thing, and then I'll shut up, was uh, at one of my installations, I had a, a situation um, uh, uh, with a member who who um, who attempted to to take their own lives. And I remember sitting there in the hospital with them, right? And that wasn't the hardest part, surprisingly. Um, picking them up and taking them to the hospital, picking them up and talking to leadership, picking them up that day and then just sitting in there for like eight to 10 hours next to them in the hospital, just having a conversation like we are today. That wasn't hard. The hardest part is when the first sergeant and for Kaylee, uh, or I'm sorry, for uh, for Christine, the, the first sergeant, think of it kind of like a like a human resource manager or something like that, I guess, you know, civilians came in and said, okay, well, that person, the hospital staff, this is an off base civilian hospital staff doesn't see any reason to hold this person uh, any longer. This person um, doesn't seem like a threat to themselves. They need to go home. Well, this person had a child, like an infant. And I'm thinking, I'm like, well, okay, what about the infant? They're like, we can't do anything about that. There, there's no, and I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, what happens when this person, when we allow, uh, I say we allow, when this person's allowed to leave, they go home and tomorrow morning, we're getting the phone call and both of them are dead. Like, well, if that happens, you can't hold, you can't take it personal. And that's what pissed me off the most. Um, not as a, yeah, that, that Sergeant Gonzalez wearing my mill air force hat, that pissed me off. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? You can't take it personal. That's what you're going to do. And, and, and the rationale, and I get it in the first sergeant wasn't a bad person. The rationale was like, by law, we can't do anything. And, and that's very frustrating, right? It's very frustrating that we can't take somebody who, whether they casually, I'll say cash, whether they posted it in a forum somewhere saying they're thinking about hurting themselves or whether you know because you saw them try to hurt yourselves, at some point, once they're no longer a threat to themselves, you have to let them go. And that's so frustrating to me. It's anyways, off my rant. So I have a couple things to say now. Um, number one, I am a very high functioning depressive person. Um, when I have depression, you're not gonna know. Um, I mean, my husband probably does, he, he can read me pretty well, um, but I actually kick it in high gear. I clean a lot, I do extra cooking, I wear a bigger smile. I seem more okay than I ever am. And I actually don't talk about anything bothering me. And I just lock up and I'm smiling and I'm in a good mood. And I'll tell you what, when my mental health is the best is when I'm crying a little bit, when I am angry, <laughs> you know, when, and it's, there's two different kinds of people that have depression like that. You know, there's some people that hide it very well. And then there's some people, you know, who have time out. They just play video games all day. All they do is eat. All they do is sleep. They don't really move. Um, you know, they're, they're very low functioning. 
so there, I feel like there's that, there's that divide. Um, but a way to see how I'm doing, and I think that this is a good thing to do for people that you love, is to try to stimulate them with something out of their norm. Um, ask them to do something that's not, you know, it's a little bit more risky or something that isn't their usual. And I think that that's a good way to tell how somebody's doing. Um, so for me, you know, if, if I'm doing, if I'm going through my emotions and somebody's like, Hey, let's go inner tubing or something. And like, I don't want to do it. You know, it's, that's a big one for me. Um, and I think that forcing yourself to do something out of your norm is a good way to prevent really bad depression too. Um, you know, I forced myself like the other day in the gym, I was trying to find some extra motivation to do my cardio. Everybody hates cardio. Don't lie. Um, <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I put on early 2000s hip hop jams, like in the club, you know what I'm talking about, like a lollipop. And I went back to Heather in eighth grade in middle school doing dances that I had no business doing with my friends. Um, and just changing my music was something that totally pumped me up. Um, so, you know, little things like that, I think can be a good change. Um, and I'll say this too about my kid because she was affected by my depression. Um, my youngest, she didn't start walking until she was Oh my God. She was like 15 to 18 months old. Um, when I had her, I had, I already had depression, but then I got postpartum depression on top of that. Um, and I honestly just held on to my baby for dear life. I woke up, I would grab her. We would lay on the couch and we would lay there all day long, just napping and cuddling. And that's all we did. And I never put her down on the ground. She wasn't crawling on, on time. She wasn't walking on time. And I really beat myself up for that for a long time. But looking back now, I'm glad that she was there for me because I might not be here now. And you hear people say that all the time. They're like, you know, I, my kid saved my life. You know, I gave, <laughs> here's one of them. <laughs> Um, they, you know, they're, they're like, my kids, you know, saved my life. I gave them life and they saved mine. And it's, it's a real thing for some people. <laughs> There's one of them. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely, that was definitely something that, that struck me, you know, that there is such a thing as postpartum depression and depression that it can hurt the children too. And um, yeah, I can't imagine, you know, being in a situation quite like that, but I know it can affect your kids too. So yeah, that's a very real thing. Um, and I love that you touched on postpartum depression because I know um, myself personally with females, you know, who right after giving birth, they, they became very depressed. They became very sad. Um, so to the really great thing to look out, um, especially for those in, uh, is to just check up on it. We've talked about so many different awesome things um, from being able to recognize there are some signs that you can recognize as frontline supervisors, but don't pin it on your 100, 500 to 700 personnel probably isn't going to know everything that's going on in your personal life, right? Um, but when you do recognize the signs, uh, you better tell someone, you better get that person help because you do have a responsibility to do that. Um, when you don't recognize the signs, fine, but you're going to recognize a change in somebody. If you're just talking to them, if you just get to know your people, if you take the time to talk, have a conversation, you should be having conversations every day with your subordinates, especially right. Your supervisors too. 
you're going to recognize things. And that's what I think it is, is the human connection. The human connection is going to um, awaken a lot of those senses for you to recognize things. Something that's hard for me though, is when people are so depressed and they're so down, like, I'm not going to say who, but I have someone in my life that um, they don't wake up with their children in the morning. Um, the kids wake up by themselves. They're alone forever. Um, the husband and wife just sleep all day long. They stay up all night. They just play video games. They don't go outside. They don't do anything. The kids are really, really, you know, neglected by that. And my thing is like, I don't know how to talk to them because they're so wrapped up. Like we were talking about, like you get in that spot where it's like, this is normal. This is fine. And I don't understand how I can show them that things can be better. Like, I don't understand how to show them. Like if you, if you were to go just one step, you know, just, just take one little teeny tiny thread, like it could get better for you, but until people take that one step, it's hard for them to realize that. And they, I, I just don't understand that one. So, and it's hard so for me to get people to take that first step. So, so I'll ask both of you this, can you make, can you make somebody change, right? Um, because uh, maybe I'm being a little too cynical here, but what you just described, right, without knowing these people, um, there's, if they stay on the same line, you know, life's probably going to be shitty, but that's all, you know, that's going to be there. But, but uh, it, again, without knowing them, how quickly can that life turn from shitty to uh criminal right how if one or two things uh you know one or two structures in their lives uh uh crumble how quickly can they go off the deep end so i guess a two question you know it's a, that's just a rhetorical but I, the main question was can you make somebody change or make some people change No, you're not going to be able to make people change. I don't think that that's your responsibility um, unless you're a, a mental health professional who has uh, went to school and has the accreditation for those different things. None of us are mental health professionals, right? So um, especially in extreme situations like that, uh, the best thing to do, um, in my opinion, is a report it. If you want me to be quite frank, I have kids too and um, kids don't get along and by themselves until they're at least eight. Right. You know, so they need somebody. Um, and, and you know what, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that situation up because, uh, and I know the, our, our teammates that are listening right now are going to be like, well, that's completely, totally extreme. Yeah, it is. But guess what? It happens in the military too. We get active duty personnel who do the same exact stuff. Uh, I was in ALS in 2017 airman leadership school. Um, and one of our classmates got pulled out because same situation, his family members were living in dog and cat feces and his house was a complete mess and base housing. And um, so he got pulled out and uh, charged very quickly. Right. So those types of things, they really do happen. Um, but if you know, uh, it, you know, recognize that we're also not mental health professionals on our, on our own and seek the appropriate help to get those people situated for sure all you can so, really do heather is you know lead by example that's one of my biggest philosophies but sometimes you need intervention yeah i, I that's not where i'm at too and uh, i was told it this way when i was younger um no one can ever take your will away from you so you've heard it said before, oh, you know, he had a gun to her head. At the same time though, even if somebody does have a gun to your head, they, they can't make you do anything. Like they're not, they're not in your mind. They can't force you to do anything. So no, I don't, I don't think that you can force people to change. Um, you literally can't force anybody to do anything unless you, I don't know, like rewire their brain and you've got like a controller, but that's about it. And I don't know how to do that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't really force anybody to do anything. I mean, you can't force that change, but I am a believer in 
conviction. So, you know, you can tell somebody like, hey, you've got this going on and explain to them, you know, with me, I couldn't change anything for myself until I hated myself that much. And I think that you have to start realizing how bad it is and how bad it can get before you'll take steps the other way. I think that that's a thing. Like, I, I don't know. These people don't understand how bad of a situation they're in. And you were talking about what happens if just a couple pieces of their life fall apart. You know, they're already on edge so bad. And they're so far away from being happy and they're so far away from being healthy. Like what happens when just a couple of things crumble? And unfortunately, I think that that's where a lot of people hit that rock bottom and they have to make that change for themselves. But I think that a lot of people aren't getting enough help and they're not getting the right kind of help when they do hit that rock bottom, you know, talking about, oh, this person's okay to just go home. They can play it off like they are. They really might not be. And I think that that's, it's when that person finally hits rock bottom, how they handle it and how other people help them handle it. That's going to make a difference for the next time around. You know, we're all going to hit rock bottom at least once. Um, but I think that how, how things are handed to you and how other people respond to it, I think that's a big part of it. That's, that is huge. I mean, so you mentioned one of the things like, you know what happens when when one or two things crumble uh you could vary and you get to rock bottom right i know for me personally um when it's come to like my professional life and, and the air force um i'm very much one of those a type of person that um i'm really not learning and if everything's going okay it's whenever you you really screw up bad and you get embarrassed and it's like oh i don't want to feel like that ever again so let me let me do whatever i can not to feel that way right uh but on the flip side um uh one of the things that that and this is just my opinion right i have no nothing no scientific data or studies to back this up is um i think a lot of people struggle when we talk about re resiliency right it, it's just that what part of your life are you going to be able to rely or, or to to relate to when it comes to um to running into into problems right um and a lot of times we don't we don't learn how to lose we don't learn how to fail right and so and i and i, and I hear people talk about it's a generational thing right but it's not i think it's very much a human thing um where you grew up like were you uh uh were you that blue collar uh, working in the farms with your freaking family, you know, starting in the eighth grade all the way through and you know what adversity is? Um, were you somebody that came from very good upbringing where you really didn't have to work for things? I think that has more impact than generation. Um, but I don't think it's tough. It's tough how to lose. Right. And so what happens, uh, you know, even with my own son, you know, that's one of the things we try to instill with him growing up. It's like, look, man, you're not freaking perfect and you're never going to be perfect. And so there are going to be times in your life where you are going to fail. What you can't do is completely shut down into a ball and, and, uh, and, and just, and hope that it goes away because it won't just like you talked about with those people it's just not going to go away it's going to feel you can make it feel normal which is what i did right which a lot of people did that that's your new normal you know being shitty um and so and so one thing that i offer i'm not a method i'm not a mental health professional nor would i say i'm spiritually or financially or emotionally um uh, uh well put together you know but what i have been able to rely on is something that i started late in life was um i think i mentioned before in the podcast is like grappling doing jujitsu right and and here's the analogy i give right there's very much times when, when i'm training where i very quickly put myself in a bad situation um with uh with my opponent and then i make another mistake now i'm even in a worse position and then in trying to fix the, the, the positions that I'm in, I put myself in even worse positions. So now just to get back to neutral, I got to go five steps, right? And it's very disheartening. It's very much, I've been, in, I've, I've been on the mat multiple times and said, you know what? Rather than try to work my way back into a neutral position and try to get to an advantage, let me just give up. Let me just tap or let me just let this person do whatever they're going to do to me so that it stops and then we can go back. And that right there was an example of me not being resilient, right? And so, but it's it's taught me 
where my limits are, right? It's taught me that I'm not perfect. It's taught me that there's other people that are better than me, that are stronger than me, whether it's physically, emotionally, whatever you want to say. But constantly putting myself in that situation has allowed me to realize that when I'm off the mats, when I'm uh, engaging in maybe a not so great conversation with my fiance or my son or my parents, it's allowed me to recognize, ah, uh, here you go. You're starting to go down that road again, even though it's not getting dominated by another human being. It's my father and I disagreeing about something. It's my fiance and I disagreeing about something. And I can very well feel myself getting into that defensive mode and then wanting to do the, and wanting to take the easy way out. In jujitsu, it's giving up. Uh, with the argument with my fiance, it's saying something that I know is going to piss her off. So she's going to walk out. Right. And so I don't know. I hope, I hope that makes sense. It's just a, uh, I don't know. No, it totally makes sense. I Gondo. It, and I, what I love about that is you talk about, um, being aware of yourself, right? So self-reflection, that's a really big part of, of all of this is yeah, you're going to have crappy times. Yeah. You're going to have really, really good times. So there's highs and lows in life. There's highs and lows in the air force you get them all all sorts but if you're aware of yourself and you recognize and you know what your shortcomings are uh, I think you can take those hits a little bit easier and Heather you talked a lot about this you talked about accountability a ton right it was me I hated myself I needed to pull myself out of that I needed to go to the gym I needed to see if it's me right that you get out of this stuff is when you make the choice, just like Heather said, you have to be the one to take that first step forward. You have to be the one to recognize within yourself, whether you're on the mat or off the mat, what your performance level is and, and what that next move needs to be in order for you to be able to overcome hard times. Uh, that's, that's crucial. Accountability starts with me. I'm responsible for how I feel. I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my recovery. Nobody else is. That commander wasn't responsible for that gentleman's recovery, right? right. I love that message. Both of your stories thing, killed it. I think another big thing too is you have to remember, like, you're not going to be able to just run into this. You can't sprint to the finish line. And eventually you'll get to a point where you're walking faster than you used to. Um, it does get easier, I promise. But those first steps are the hardest the absolute hardest and they are the hardest to make yourself make too but all you have to do is baby steps baby steps forward little teeny tiny things like if you're not doing things around the house you know sometimes i put away the dishes and i get pissed off and i don't want to get a step stool to put things up in the cabinet because i'm short so i take all the tupperware and i put it in the cabinet and if the door closes i freaking close it and you know what bam the dishes are put away and i feel better um you know just little teeny tiny baby steps they don't have to be perfect you know you need to take a shower today but you don't want to stand there in the bathtub then guess what sit down and take a shower sitting down at least your butt is clean you know just little teeny tiny baby steps you you're not going to be able to just do things perfectly when you start this journey. Um, you're probably going to have to do things, maybe cut a couple little corners and, but do what you have to do to feel accomplished. Because if you're not giving yourself a little bit of oomph, then there's no reason. There's no reason for what you're doing. You know, it doesn't have to be perfectly done, but have the dedication to at least try it doesn't have so, to be a perfect result. So I like what you said right there. Like it, you don't have to be perfect, but acknowledge the small things, the small wins, right? So from where you started to where you are today, what are some of the things you do daily uh, uh, that you do daily to acknowledge that, hey, this is good, right? As, as small as it may seem, like what are some of those things you do to keep yourself positive? Um, well, this is going to sound kind of douchebaggy. I don't care. I like to take pictures of myself in the gym. <laughs> check out, check out my guns. Look at myself. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm getting swole. Um, <laughs> something stupid like that, because I have pictures of me from when I was really out of shape. 
I like to flex in the gym because I always wanted to be one of those people. You know, you see the people in the gym that are like digging it, digging themselves. And now it's like, oh yeah, I can dig it. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of like a reward to me. I'd be like, oh, I have a new vein sticking out. I don't know. <laughs> it's silly, but I wake up at three o'clock in the morning, Monday through Friday, and I go to the gym. Like I have to, to force myself to be semi-okay. Um, so like, that's a huge thing for me, but to be able to check myself out, that's one of my rewards. What about you, Kaylee? So I'll, I'm going to go back to my recovery point. So, um, I attempted suicide in 2014. I ended up in a psych ward, right? And I remember leaving the psych ward. Um, Master Sergeant McQuinding, if you listen to this podcast, like bless your heart, I'll never forget our flight home. He had to fly out there to pick me up because um, I was stuck in Norfolk, Virginia. We flew back to Vegas and I was a completely empty shell. I had a, a no idea where to go. Like I I was just nothing. Like I was just a body. There was nothing inside of me. I didn't know who I was. Uh, my daughter had to go live with her grandparents. So like, I didn't have like a purpose really. Um, so I had to find it. Um, and so I went through intense psychotherapy for two years. And during that, I, I had to develop brand new coping skills that I had never, um, used in my life. And one of them, um, was one writing my problems down. If I was feeling a strong feeling, I needed to write it on a piece of paper and then hold the piece of paper up and then burn it. Literally light the thing on fire and burn it. So that's kind of where it started for me is, okay, I, I recognize that I have a problem because um, one of my biggest issues as a child is I compressed and I just kind of shoved all my feelings to the side and never processed any of them. Um, and I didn't understand what feeling was until this point, right? So writing down a feeling was was a big accomplishment for me understanding that I had feelings and that I was allowed to feel them but if I didn't want to feel that feeling I was allowed to make it go away and I physically witnessed myself making it go away by lighting the piece of paper on fire and it, that that was one of the coping mechanisms that it just kind of started at that is that it's okay to feel feelings and if I don't like the feeling I need to at least acknowledge it and then I'm allowed to process it and then I'm allowed to make it go away. Um, and then it's truly an art, self-recognition and a ton of just self-reflection and making lists and making myself feel accomplished. I don't think I really had an issue just because um you know the air force gave me things to do <laughs> so i had tasks to do every single day but i would write those down and i would check them off and when my list was accomplished i knew how i had done something right whether it was just pulling it fit or whether i took my trash out or did something i contributed something to the world that day and going to the gym was one of the biggest ones um so there was a multitude, a culmination of things that took place that made me feel the way I felt. Um, and one of them was failing my PT test. And I think everybody has pretty much seen the post and where I told you guys, you know, I failed PT tests, two of them. Um, and I didn't want to do that anymore. So I got my personal training certification and Heather is actually one of um, my like indirect clients. She just messaged me one day and was like, how the hell do I do any of this? And I told her and she did it. And so that's where she's at, you know? Uh, so freaking cool. Um, but that was one of them. So going to the gym and lifting and bodybuilding, um, that taught me a really just the, the most valuable lesson in my entire life is that my physical strength core lift or you are hitting a new PR leg pressing a thousand pounds is a really big deal and it took me a lot to get there right and I was I was consistent I worked at it I ate the right food I trained properly and then I was able to perform a goal I was able to set a new goal. And so those little goals, even though they might be in five pound increments, like those are a really, really big deal. And my mental improved just off of those things. So it was a culminations of things that I had to do to learn myself, but also push myself to get better and figure out who I was and what I loved and what made me happy. So 
so here's here's what I'll offer. So I didn't know I didn't know you had went through any of that, Kaylee. So thank you for sharing it right with everybody. Um, so here's as somebody again, I can't relate to what to what you two are describing, but here's what I heard you say. You clearly identified that you were at this point in your life, which let's just say rock bottom, I don't know, right? And you just articulated very clearly and very concisely what you've done to get yourself to this point to the day, right? How many people can't do that right now, right? So I think it's amazing to hear both your guys' stories and what you just said, Kaylee, because there's people right now who maybe they're where you were on that day or a month after or two months after, and either they don't have the resources, right? Cause there are some people that don't have the resources or they or they, they're not, they're not ready to, they're not ready to, to get away from how they feel like we talked about earlier. Um, or they're at step two of 10 and you just described how to get through three through 10 and now they can follow off on that. So that's huge, man. It's, I think it, I wouldn't have felt this way pre social media, I guess. But I think there, it, there's a, a lot of value in hearing people's stories, not necessarily even hearing somebody give you the fix, but just listening to the story, man. I mean, there's so many people that we've talked about or we've heard on this podcast or other podcasts that I've listened to or TV shows or, or, or whatnot that it's like, oh, I feel that way. But this person, you're completely different than me. Why do you feel that way? We're not the same, you know, and it's just hearing that it, it lets you it lets me know when I hear things like that. Like, Okay, I, I'm not weird. I'm not. I'm not the outlier in this, right? So, so thank you, thank you for for saying that, Kaylee, and thank you both, man. It's a, it's, it's a tough time, right? It's a tough time, like separate from anything that we have going on internal, right, to ourselves, whether it's um, in our personal or professional lives. I mean, you for the. I know 2020 has been crazy, right? And and now we're getting into the holidays, and 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 what I'm worried about are the people who due to covid right have have lost jobs have lost their homes have lost their cars who who financially for i would say probably 8 months right going back 8 months have not figured out a way to better improve their situations and now we're in the holiday season which i i, I believe based on research has shown that this is where people tend to um uh, to harm themselves or harm others, right? And, and so, so I, I'll ask this question, man. So, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that that right now, more than any time, maybe at least in your lives, that you guys are about eight, ten years younger than me, um, that we need to be looking, that we need to be eagle eye to everybody around us to make sure that they're okay. I feel like a big part of it, honestly, is just reaching out to people the way that you would want to be reached out to if you were in that situation. So like, I have a really good friend of mine. Um, her family's not the greatest. And guess what? Mine isn't either. Um, I actually put up my first Christmas tree in my entire life last year with my husband because my family fell apart and I hated the holidays. Um, but I have a friend whose family isn't the greatest. And you know, I reached out to her and I was like, hey, if your family sucks this year and you want to come over for Thanksgiving, why don't you come and eat with us? You know, just little things like that. Like if you, if there's somebody around you that is going through something even remotely similar to you, just try to do what you wish that somebody would have done for you a while back. Um, and I'm going to have to get going. My kids are starting to miss their mom. Um, <laughs> but I will leave you with this one. Um, when I was a little girl, my mom would always tell me, Heather, you're not special. She said it all the time. You know, I'd be complaining about something and she'd be like, you're not special. And it hurt my feelings as a kid, but looking back now, I understand it because you're not so special that you're the only person that's ever <laughs> felt the way that you feel. You're not so special that you're the only person that's ever been in this situation. You're not so special that you're the only person that's, that understands what you could be going through. You're not that special. You're just like everybody else. And there's at least one person who's been through what you've been through. 
and there's someone else that's probably going through something that you've been through too so you're not that special get it together no one is that perfect none of us are perfect so that's kind of where i'm at you're not that special you're not special enough that you get to just you know kill yourself either well literally or you know just mentally you know you're you're not that special you can't just sit there around in your depression and hurt the people around you because you're not special enough to do that either (laughs) so (laughs) yeah you're not that special (laughs) no well thank you thank you so much heather for for your time tonight man this is uh this is good this uh i'm glad kaylee uh, recommended you or, or brought you on, right? Because uh, this is this is the good stuff to talk about. And we, we can talk about our career field all day, but um, these are the things that are that that mean something, right? These are the things that are the conversations that are going to help, um, even if it only helps one person out of the eight hundred and some odd that we have active duty, right? That that's that's what counts. So um, thank you. If Kaylee, it only helps one, it's worth uh, it. Definitely. All right, Kaylee, all- take us out. <laughs> Yeah, man. Heather has a really uh, excellent perspective on things, right? And sometimes we get the um, the regular Air Force training where we're told we're loved and we are special <laughs> and we are, but accountability starts with me. Um, check yourself, check your feelings, make sure you're okay. Uh, your teammates reach out. A lot of us can't have people over for Thanksgiving, unfortunately, um, by the UCMJ. Um, so do what you're supposed to do, but there are things that we can do like zoom. We can FaceTime, we can Facebook message. We can take cookies to people's houses still. Um, so find something to do to check on your folks y'all. Um, Hey, continue to make good choices. Resiliency is a big thing. I want you guys to, to play this podcast.